to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing wonderful. Well, I am so glad to hear it. What's up? Anything new? Nothing really other than, well, here, this is my life lesson of the week. <laughs> I got a new heating and air conditioning unit last summer. Mm-hmm. Ever since I had it installed, I just felt like something wasn't right with it. My house is humid all the time. It doesn't cool off. It's miserable. This summer has been so miserable that I went for weeks without ever turning on the stove because my house was so gross. We sit in the house with the windows closed, doors closed, blinds closed. We don't turn on lights. (laughs) We're (laughs) like, don't do anything that generates heat, right? Well, I have called the person who installed my unit three times to come back out and look at it. He keeps telling me, oh, you need to put an attic fan up on your roof or you need to put another return air vent in or, you know, everything that he doesn't do that I need to call somebody else to handle. I called another company to come out and take a look at my unit. He did not build the ductwork where it attaches to the unit in the attic correctly. And half of my heating and cooling is going into my attic and not through my ductwork. Oh, yeah. So if you feel like something isn't right, <laughs> don't keep calling the same person to diagnose the problem. <laughs> That's my tip for the day. Call another person out to take a second look, get a second opinion. Yeah, that's frustrating because he did it wrong and he should fix it. Yes, he did it wrong. I actually had two other people come out and look at it and they both said, whoever did this did a really bad job. It looks like it was hot in the attic and he just wanted to get out of there and he threw it together and now it's all collapsed and it's not. Uh, So the company that I hired to do it, they are doing a new build house. And then when they finish that, they'll come take care of mine. So hopefully, hopefully, I mean, like, it's so bad, y'all, that I just ordered new windows for my house because I'm like, maybe I just need new windows. Yeah. So, (laughs) well, you know, when something's not right, your house will not get cool. I can remember same with us when we lived in our house in Augusta that was built in the 40s. We had... We had two heating and cooling units, and we had both of them replaced not too long after we'd been in the house. They needed it, and the house still would not get cool. And they they were like, well, your house can only get so cool because of the whatever that they tell you. Well, it turns out our ductwork was not attached under the house to the – like they, it was like loose and laying there. And so like you said, the duct, it was blowing into – the under space. the house, right? Yeah. The crawl space. And once we fixed that, and we also put some 
foam insulation in the attic, our power bills went down by so much. And our house was finally able to get cool. Yeah. It should be able to get cool. (laughs) I'm anxious to see once they fix it, if my house actually gets cool, because, you know, we still run window units in some of the windows of our house because you shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's my life lesson. Don't, don't keep going back to the same person. (laughs) (laughs) The same person who did it wrong, either doesn't know they did it wrong or doesn't care they did it wrong. Either way, they're not going to fix it or they would have just done it right. Right. (laughs) Right. They're not going to come back and go, oh, look, I really screwed that one up. No. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> yeah. Well, they did tell me that if this doesn't solve the problem, I might need all new ductwork to the tune of around $15,000. So, yes. What? Yes. I, that blew my mind. What? I guess it's custom I guess I'm gonna made. I'm going to keep saying what. I know. <laughs> what? I was like, he said, yeah, if this doesn't take the problem, you might just need all new ductwork. And I'm like, well, what is something like that run? And I'm thinking he's going to tell me like six or $7,000. It's just like sheet metal, right? When you said fabric, I thought you were going to say 1500 I don't know. Hey, no. $15,000. $15,000. Oh, like, Lord. What? Yeah. So I told my son that and he says, oh, no, mom, they sell this this stuff. I don't even know how he knows this. My 22 my year old knows everything. He's the smartest kid. He said, no, they sell this stuff. It's kind of like a dryer vent, but it's already insulated and you can run it into your existing vents yeah. and you hook it up. And I'm like, what? Like, he's not a heating and cooling guy. So how my kid knows this, I don't know. And so I looked it up because I'm like, is he telling me stories? Oh, no, it exists. You can get like 75 feet of it for like I don't even know, $45 or something. And so I was telling Eric and he's like, so great. What are you going to do with that knowledge? I'm like, well, rather than spend $15,000, I might be crawling up in the attic figuring out how to run my own. (laughs) Or you can definitely find somebody to do it for less than that. There is no way. No way it should cost $15,000 unless it's like made of gold or something. That's like ten percent of the value of my house. There's no way. That's that's. I think that's that guy just doesn't want to do it. <laughs> he hates to install ductwork. So he's like, it will cost one million dollars for you to get new ductwork. <laughs> Instead of telling you I don't want to do your ductwork, he's just gonna. <laughs> oh Lord. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Get a second opinion on that one for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now it's time for our weekly good news segment. And today's comes from Veronica in Utah. Jen was just in Utah. I was. She said, I wanted to give a shout out to the receptionist at Alta View Podiatry, which is at Alta View Intermountain Hospital in Sandy, Utah. Back in April of 2022, I thought I had sprained my ankle walking my dog, Ginger. But a month later, it was worse than ever, swollen and getting more painful by the day. Over Memorial Day weekend, I went to Instacare and had an x-ray and they didn't find anything. The following Tuesday, I called multiple podiatrist offices, only be told each place had no available appointments for at least a month. I had no idea what I was going to do. About five minutes after calling the last place, Alta View Podiatry, the receptionist called me back and said she would fit me in that afternoon. She went out of her way to squeeze me in because I had told her how desperate I was to get help. She could have just made me wait, but she helped me get me in to see the doctor. It turns out I did have a fractured ankle, and if I hadn't gotten in to see the doctor, I could have seriously worsened my injury. I appreciate her help so much. So, Veronica, I am so glad you got the help you needed and that you are on the mend. My husband had a similar experience. He broke his foot on a Thursday, 
was very stubborn, didn't get x-rays till Saturday, was told to see a podiatrist. Monday, I think I called probably 10 podiatrists and they were like, oh, we can get you in three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. And I'm like, His, your foot's going to be healed by then. The last office I called, told him just to come in. They'd worked him in. They had his x-rays, put him in a boot, had him out of the office in like an hour. They were amazing. So it is frustrating when you are like desperate for help and can't get it. Oh, yeah. So so Alta View Podiatry in Sandy, Utah. Great job. Well, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I want to talk about Beauty Counter. Jen and I love Beauty Counter for their safe, non-toxic beauty and makeup products. When you use their products, you can be sure that they don't have any ingredients that are harmful or possible endocrine disruptors that will cause metabolic harm. There isn't one single product that I've used that I do not absolutely love from their line. My skin has never looked better. I just turned 49 and I constantly get told that I don't look my age. I credit a healthy lifestyle coupled with the skin transforming changes I have experienced since I started using Beauty Counter 18 months ago. One great thing about them is that they constantly have great specials, like currently they are having a mini special. They have eight of their best-selling skincare products available in smaller sizes, which are great for giving them a try at a cheaper price than the full-size items. Let's see, last month, I was trying to remember, oh, they had a free sunscreen. If you spent like $125, you got a free like $35 sunscreen. I did that one. I went in and got my free sunscreen. (laughs) (laughs) Between now and September, new customers get 30% off all orders with discount code CLEANFORALL30. And if you want to learn more, visit lifelessonscommunity.com slash beautycounter, or you can go to beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock, S-H-E-R-I-B-U-L-L-O-C-K. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are joined by Merle Saferstein. She has been journaling for 48 years and has amassed a collection of 380 journals. After 26 years as a Holocaust educator, where she worked with hundreds of Holocaust survivors, helping them to leave their legacy, she retired and she created Living and Leaving Your Legacy. Through classes, workshops, and lectures, she has guided thousands of people in sacred legacy work, writing for wellness, and journaling. She joins us today to help inspire our community to start journaling or to improve upon their journaling practice. Welcome, Merle. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, we are so glad to have you. And Sherry tells me that the Facebook community was very excited to get some tips to understand journaling a little bit better. A lot of people were very interested, so we're looking forward to this episode. But before we get started, what is the lesson that you hope to share with our listeners today? I think the most important lesson for me that I've actually come to understand more as I've gotten older is that how we live our life becomes our legacy. Oh. So people watch us. People learn from us. It's not what we say. It's what we do. And so if we want to be remembered in a certain way, then we better be living in that way. I love that. That's so very true. Yeah, that is. So let's just start real quick, but share your background with our listeners and talk about how you became 
a master journaler. Okay, so as a teenager, I kept diaries, a young teenager, and then stopped. And then when I was about 30, I started journaling again. I had a notebook that I had used in a class, and I picked it up on my 30th birthday and decided that I was going to just write about where I was at in my life. I had two small children at the time. And I continued writing for about seven years periodically. And then in 1981, I started seriously journaling. And I, to this day, have no idea what really possessed me to do that. I've always liked to write. I used to write letters all the time. So that was important to me. But journaling just provided me with a whole different aspect of writing because I was really doing it for myself, to myself. It was a way for me to process my life. And so I started writing daily sometimes multiple times a day, I would literally write if I was stuck at a railroad crossing or if I was stuck on a bridge trying to get to the beach or in line at the bank, I carried a journal with me all the time. So my journaling practice really became extensive. For many, many years, I did not understand why I was journaling and why I had this great need to journal. But as an educator, I kept telling myself that there's got to be something in these journals worth sharing someday. And so at some point I went back and started reading them and that's a whole other story, but (laughs) that's actually my journaling history. I love that. So you talk about something called legacy journaling. Can you tell us what a legacy journal is? Sure. So a legacy journal is different than a journal. A regular journal we write for ourselves. And I think one of the most important things is that we do write for ourselves, that we just make sure that what we're saying is honest, authentic, we don't censor our work. Legacy journaling to me is something where you take from your journals and choose what to share. So for example, in 2002, when I decided I wasn't going to leave my journals to my children, because I knew there were just too many things in there that were personal, that I wrote from my eyes only. People had told me, confidences that I just knew I never wanted to share with my children, I decided to go back and start reading my journals. And what I did was I divided my life into themes or topics, and I had 70 different topics. It took me 14 years to go back and read those journals. And when I did, what I realized was that I had things in there that life lessons, things I really wanted to share. And so I started deciding which of the topics I wanted to share and created a book, which I just published last month, called Living and Leaving My Legacy. And in that book is really, I I call it a legacy journal because it is my journaling, but it is my legacy. So in there, I have the life lessons, hopes and dreams, values and beliefs, the kinds of things that we would leave in, for example, an ethical will, which is a spiritual document that people often leave for their loved ones after they die. So a legacy journal is something where I've chosen exactly what it is I want to share and chose very carefully what lessons and what kinds of just what I felt that people might benefit by. Now, I have a question that popped up while hearing you share that because I never thought about what you said, you have all of these journals that you have collected over the years, so many, it took you 14 years to go through them really yourself even. 
and you don't want to leave them to your kids so because they're private things in there. So what happens to your journals when you're gone? Great question. And I have agonized over this. So actually in the book, the first chapter is called The Journey of Journaling. And I write about the decision-making of what to do with my journals. At one point, someone suggested to me that I find an archive, that I leave my journals to an archive. And they said, start with your university because universities are often the ones that might want it. And when I went back to Ohio, the Ohio State and suggest, you know, told the, the archivist there that I was considering it, she said, if you've written any journals while you're at Ohio State, we want them. Otherwise, we don't. And so I went through a lot of different archives, wrote to them. I actually met someone at the National Jewish Archives in Cincinnati, and he was very interested. And he then said to me, go home and write me a letter. And I did. And he wrote back and he said, we want them. But first, I want you to send me excerpts. So he said, so you started in the 70s. So I want you to send excerpts, for example, of when Nixon was being impeached. And he listed all these historical things. And the truth is, my journals are much more an inner journey. I do have bits and pieces of what goes on around. But for the most part, it's really just my own life. You know, what I'm writing about, the things I'm, I'm seeing and experiencing and learning and So I wrote him back and said, I don't think we're a fit, which then started all over again. Now what? Actually, in my will, at this point, I have that if I were to die, my journals are to be burned, which does not make me happy at all. makes my children very unhappy. However, I have a friend who's an artist who is extremely creative, and she is now talking to me about doing art with my journals. So... I don't know. That's that's the next piece that we're going to be looking at. That's interesting to consider because I'd never thought of that. But I know, for example, I ended up with some letters that belonged to my grandparents. And one of them was very private. I wish I hadn't read it. And so I could just imagine that there are things that you've written in your journals that you don't want your children to read. Exactly. And you know, the real problem with that is if you read something that you can't talk to the person about, that you don't understand you're left with something that is does not feel good and i don't want my child i don't want to ever put my children in that position i don't think it's fair so i'm really very clear on that and they know and my husband knows should i die that this is what i want right now in the moment it's not really what i want but it's the only alternative it's the I best solution you can find right 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 well so i'm going to be completely honest cuz that's just who i am I'm a cards on the table person, (laughs) a representative from, I don't know, your, your publisher, somebody reached out to us and and suggested you for the show. I got it. And I was like journaling. Hmm, I don't know. I don't have any interest in journaling. And I said, Jen, do you have any interest in journaling? And she's like, I don't think so. I just didn't really do anything with the email. I don't even think I replied. I think it just like once, once I talked to her, it was out of my brain. Right. And then she reached back out again. And I thought, you know, it's probably not up to me to decide what the Mm -hmm. listeners want. So that's when I went to the community and I said, hey, do you all have any interest in, you know, us talking with somebody who's a professional journaler? It was so funny, the responses. I mean, probably 90% were like, absolutely. And they had a ton of questions. And then there were people that was like, no, why do I want a journal? (laughs) 
So, <laughs> there are two types of people in the world, right? the journalers and For the sure. not journalers. You know, yeah. I've been thinking about it, Sherry, and I'm very much, I think my whole like Facebook experience, of course, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but being in the community and being out there and, and social media has been my, and you're writing my books, has been my way of journaling out loud in public, right? Yeah. So I think I've journaled my journey, but publicly instead of privately. I am very, well, I probably do a little bit of the same on social media, but then I'm very much a, like, I live in the present person. Like yesterday was yesterday, right? I'm looking to today and then tomorrow, like, okay, I'm living today and what can I do better tomorrow? I'm not a person who really thinks about last week or last month or last year. So so I think maybe that's why, like, I'm kind of like, why do I care three years from now what I did yesterday? So like, I save like calendars. Like I would have calendars that I would hang on the wall and I would write things on them. So and you I would, are kind of a journalist. Yes, but not traditionally. When I thought about it, because I really do. I've And I used to have diaries when I was, so that made me think more all about, you know, my teenage years. I was a diary keeper too. So it's funny. I just have a different medium for my journals. You know, my podcast is an audio journal, right? You want to know what exactly. I'm doing? I've got an audio journal going back to what, 2017 when I started my first podcast. Now I'm a date saver. So when important things happen in my life, I put them in my calendar. Like, on such and such, you know, I'll be like, oh, on this day, such and such happened, right? Like I met my husband on this day in 2014. That's in my calendar. It repeats every year. So then every year I'm like, oh, eight years ago, I met you on this day or whatever. And I do save things like that in my calendar on my phone. But like, I don't know. I have, I also have like a very good, almost photographic memory. So I can recall anything at any time. So I don't know, maybe that's why I've never felt the need to to write it down. Like I won't even read a book twice because as soon as I start reading See, I it, do. I'm like, oh, I've already read this. Girl, I bet you read a book over and over. <laughs> I'm that person too. Do you? Only very few. Oh, very sorry, few. There's a, so, because there's so many books to read. Okay. But I, you know, let me just say about going back and reading about our lives, because the journey of doing that for me was absolutely fascinating in that one of the things in particular was when I would have an idea, I would plant to see it would be the first time. For example, when I was knowing that I was going to be leaving the Holocaust Center, I'd been there 26 years. It was time, but I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do, except I knew I wanted to write a book. I knew I wanted to teach and I knew I wanted to speak. That was it. And so I journaled and I journaled and I kept saying, what will I teach? You know, at the Holocaust Center, my job was specifically to help the Holocaust survivors pass along their legacies, whatever that looked like. And one day I wrote down the word legacy and I said, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder what that would be and would anyone be interested? And to go back and see where I plan to see and then watch it grow is absolutely fascinating. It also shows the ebb and flow of life. You know, we don't necessarily think about that, but we don't think about how some days are good, some days are bad. And just to be able to watch that, for me, just having a record of where I've been, what I've done, it's been so valuable for me. And then, of course, to have this book that I've written, and I have a second one coming, you know, straight from my journals. But really, when I wrote that book, I wrote it for two reasons. I wrote it because I wanted to 
help people understand the power and the gift of journaling. But I also wrote it because I wanted people to look at my life, not because it was my life, but to look at my life as a mirror into their own lives and to think about what about my life resonates for you and how are you living your life? And that's really the feedback that I'm getting. And then at the end of each chapter, I reflect on those things that I've written about between then. So I stopped doing this in 2016. So between 2016 and up until I finished the book, those reflections. And then I have journal prompts on each subject for people to then either journal or at least read the prompts and think about in their own lives. So I think there's tremendous value in being able to have a record like that. I don't have a photographic memory, but I will tell you that my memory is far superior to what it would be because I've written it down. I bet because you're right. I, because I know that when I write something down, even when I'm in a lecture or whatever, if I'm taking notes, I'll remember. Otherwise, my mind is like a sieve. Yep. I guarantee that's true. Writing it down is helping you remember those moments. All right. So we, should we get into the questions from our community? All right. We have one. The first question is, is there a difference between journaling and keeping a diary? And also, you know, how do you decide what to write in the journal? Are they random thoughts or specific topics that may change from day to day? Okay. So the first piece is the difference between a diary and a journal. In essence, they are the same thing, except the diaries are much more a record of one's life. So for example, my early journals, when I went back and read them, some of them are how far I ran that day, what I ate, what I weighed, what I did, where now I never write about those things, but I write about what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, where I'm at, what recording my life and what's going on in it. So I think that in that sense, it's different. What to write? I write it all. So I write how I'm feeling emotionally. If there's an issue with someone, I process that. If I'm traveling, I write about my travels. I write about conversations I've had. So really anything goes. There are no rules in terms of writing in a diary. The only rule I ever say is to date an entry so that when you go back, you know when you've written that and it kind of gives you a record of time. But otherwise, the gift of journaling is there are no rules. So it doesn't matter about your punctuation and whether you write in full sentences or whatever. I happen to be really a stickler for that just because that's the way I write, but not everybody does. So would it be safe to say that a diary is more like facts and figures and a journal is more observations, thoughts, and feelings? Yes. Yes. I think that that would be safe. To say. That makes sense. So Lori from the UK, she wants to know, do you ever incorporate drawings or doodles into your journals or do you keep a sketchbook as well? I have only once drawn in my journals. So of all 380 journals, there's only one journal that has pictures in it. And that's when I took two weeks and I went to South Beach and South Beach in Miami. And I drew, it's Art Deco. And so there were old cars that were parked in front so I drew those. I drew palm trees. That's the only time that I've ever drawn. A lot of people keep art journals. And so that's just another form of journaling altogether. I do not have a sketchbook. I often said to myself that had I not written, become a writer, then I probably would have become an artist because I, I do like art. And I did at one point paint and do those things. I do have 
a sketchbook that I do mandalas in. And that's just a whole different ballgame. That's just taking crayons and drawing and, and not really drawing it, knowing what I'm going to do, but just kind of, it's just a way, another way to process what's going on. And those are really interesting to go back and look at. I could see if you had a person who expressed themselves through art better than words, that incorporating, you know, sketches and doodles in their journal might be helpful for them. Absolutely. So I have, I lead a, I facilitate a journaling circle with right now it's 15 women and we've been doing this since the beginning of COVID. And there are a few who definitely draw as well as write. And I have a few friends in, in some of my legacy classes, one in particular who's a wonderful artist, and she has done amazing things in her journals. And I have another friend who puts quotes and then draws around the quotes. So there are different forms, different ways, listing, making lists. There's a bullet journal. In fact, I just contributed to a book called The Great Book of Journaling. And it is a book that has about 40 different chapters from different journaling experts throughout the world and talks about the different kinds of journaling. There are that many different kinds. So there's really not a right or a, a wrong way to do it. You know, if you no. want to add the no. pictures, add the pictures. And if not, it, it, it's really just completely up to you. It made me think about Will, my son, Will Sherry. He has always been a journaler. Wow. Has he? he always keeps notebooks full of all sorts of things. He wow. adds cartoons. He's a songwriter. So he writes that. He has them all over the place and I've never looked at them. <laughs> Good. I'm like, I don't want to see. No, I won't. But I'm sure some of it is stuff I would not want to see. But he he writes all sorts of things down from jokes to song lyrics to doodles to whatever. You know, I've just seen him doing it. So I want to say something about looking at someone's diaries or journals because there are so many people who have had the experience where as kids they kept diaries, someone read it, and then that just shut them down and they never wrote again. What I think is so important is to have something in your head and to be able to put it down on paper, to get rid of it in that way is is tremendously valuable. I suggest that if one can't find a safe place, if one doesn't feel safe, there are two things you can do. Either write in a password-protected document in your computer so that only you can see that, or to write on a piece of paper, get it out and then either tear it up, burn it in a ceremony. But the real, the act of getting it from our heads down out onto paper is so valuable. That's a very good tip. I haven't, like, I know you're probably like, well, how do you know what he writes if you haven't looked at it? Well, because he would like leave it laying around or he wrote stuff on the back of something and you just see it in the environment. But I purposefully do not look closely anytime I've seen it because it's so private. When I worked at the Holocaust Center, we used to, in the early years, we always encouraged teachers to journal and to have their students journal when they were learning about the Holocaust. But I used to say to them, and this has changed because now teachers, if teachers give journals as an assignment, they are required to read them. There was a point at which that was not true. So I used to say to the teachers, you want children to be able to express themselves. So it's important to let them write anything they want. And if, in fact, they want it to be private. All they have to do is fold the page over and it's up to you to honor that. And then I would say to them, and if you don't, if you are not trustworthy and you read what these kids have written, then it's on you. 
you know, then you have to live with that. So I think that it's really important first to find a safe place so that one can really say it all without censoring what you're thinking. I think that's important. All right. So we've got some more questions. There are two that are very similar. One is from Annie from Cincinnati. She says, I've loved writing all my life and my educational background is in creative writing, but journaling is so hard for me. How do you train yourself to just let go and write without worrying about how your writing sounds? I really struggle with overthinking as I try to journal and I feel like I always end up critiquing my journal entries instead of just being present with the words. Thank you for any advice that you have. And then Cindy from Little Rock has a similar struggle. She said, I've been journaling, but not consistently for a year or so. Sometimes I open my journal and struggle with what to write. I feel it has to be perfect. How do I overcome this feeling? I know I need to just start writing. So what do you do for these people that are caught up in, you know, the perfection and rather than just letting it flow? It's really tough. When one is a perfectionist, it's very hard. And I speak from knowing myself because I I am, I mean, if one would look at my journals, you would say there's no crossing out. It's just just pages and pages and pages of writing. And when I make a mistake, I do hesitate and think, okay, and then I just keep going. However, I think that the greatest gift we can give ourselves is to just say it doesn't matter. Sometimes in life, it's okay to not be perfect. I mean, we should all strive to not be perfect because perfection is really an enemy. It really is. Where to start? How to do that? Just, I would say, start with right now. Right now, I feel. Or today, this is where I'm at. And just think about where you're at in that moment and not worry about, and first of all, one's writing for, for herself. So it really shouldn't matter in terms of anyone reading it. I feel like if you can't let go and write freely for yourself, when it's just for you, like where else can you let go and practice not being perfect? I mean, to me, that's the perfect opportunity to just take off that pressure and learn that, you know, you don't have to have everything perfect all the time. Exactly. Exactly. It's a gift you give yourself if you can do that. It's better writing when you can do that. Even, you know, I'm a actual writer with books that are published, right? And and when I first start writing it, I just write it. You know, your first draft is very much, you're just writing, you know, and and like, I don't worry about perfection in my first writing attempt for anything. So with journaling, you definitely should not worry about that. You just, first you have to just blah, get it on the paper. If not, I think you're stunting those feelings. You would never finish a a paragraph, much less a book or, or a journal. Right. I think that's very true. So we have a few questions about how to get started and how to make journaling a habit. And I'll just read them all because I think once you start answering, you're going to cover all their questions. Okay. So Elena says, I know all about pretty notebooks, brand new journals, and fresh starts, but I need you to teach me how to finish a journal. I know one day I will regret not remembering so much, but I just cannot seem to get into a good habit. I try to book in my days with planning and reflecting, but I know that when school starts back up, it will be another failed attempt without habits in place to keep it up. Please share your wisdom. And Erin from Vienna, Virginia, she says, I am struggling to get started as a journalist. Do you think it is important or helpful to have a set time and place to journal when embarking on this? 
How have your journaling habits evolved as you have become more experienced? Again, just more questions about consistency, forming the habit, keeping it going. Stephanie says she dives in and then she loses steam. How does one start? How does one create the habit? How do you stay consistent? One thing is years ago, so for me, it was just I at some point just realized that this is something I needed to do and wanted to do. So for me, it was just a very personal thing. There's a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And Julia Cameron writes and helps people get in touch with their inner self and their creative person. And she makes a suggestion that one should get up in the morning first thing in the morning, and write three pages. They're called morning pages. And anyone in the world of journaling knows about morning pages. Julia Cameron has made that really famous. I have to tell you that when I started doing that, I just made the commitment. I said, I'm going to get up earlier every day and do this and just see where it takes me. So first of all, it's making the commitment to oneself. Very often, people tend to write when you're unhappy. And then when things are going along, they just kind of let their journals go. And I know countless people who have started journals and not finished them. I think part of it is making the commitment to oneself to just do this, to say, okay, this is going to be as important to me as brushing my teeth. And what I actually did when I started doing morning pages, when I became really a consistent journal writer is every single morning, whether I wanted to or not, I got up and I started journaling. Some people light a candle, they have a ceremony, they make their tea, they go outside. And there are all kinds of ceremonies that people talk about in doing their journaling. If that helps, that's great. I think that just the really important thing is just to say, I'm going to give myself one month. And in this month, I am going to, every morning, get up and write. And it's a different kind of writing. When you write before you do anything else. So I literally would get out of bed, grab my pen and my journal and start writing. We write out of our unconscious when we first get up. If you don't do anything else but that, when I went back and read my morning pages, they were very different than the journals. There was none of the recording of daily things. It was really just an inner dialogue of whatever was happening in my head at that point. Lots of dream dream recollection. I think the best way to do it is just to make the commitment and say, I'm going to do it and don't let anything get in the way and don't worry about whether it's perfect and don't worry about what it looks like. Just do it. Just do it. And you don't have to be a morning journaler. Someone could decide they want to do it at the middle of the day or the end of the day. That's just one framework is the morning journal. Yeah. And you could do it all times of the day also. Right, which I do, which I do. And and very often, if I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep, I leave the room and I just sit and journal. And sometimes I'll journal for an hour and a half in the middle of the night. So it doesn't matter. It's really, I mean, some people are not morning people and they're night people and it's better to do that. Last night, I knew there was something I wanted to write and I kept saying to myself, I don't like to write at night. So I kept saying, I'll wait and I'll write in the morning. And at 10.30, I turned off the light and laid down, and I my mind was going and going. I said, who am I kidding? And I just finally at a quarter to 11 got up, got my journal, and started writing. 
and knew that I was not going to be able to sleep until I did. So it doesn't matter it when, out. but I do know that the morning pages is a very different kind of writing and really a tremendous gift we give ourselves. That would be a good place for someone who isn't sure where to start, a good place to develop a habit. So Susan wants to know, how do I make my journaling more meaningful? She said, journaling is an essential stress reliever for me. When I take some time every day to jot down my thoughts, I feel much more grounded and feel calmer throughout the day. However, I feel like my journals are just a place for me to constantly dump the same thoughts over and over again. I would like to use them as a place for true growth and a place where I can see growth happening. I'm not sure. I think that while it might feel like she's just journaling and dumping, my guess is that there is growth in doing that because when we get rid of the things that are bothering us, we are growing. You know, when we're looking at the tough moments in our life and writing about them, that leads us to the next place in our lives. I had so, a hunch that's what you would say. Dump yeah, it. Just dump it. Right, Keep right, dumping just, it. And, and that has meaning in itself. Being able to do that, being able to put down some of what we're feeling is very meaningful. And really therapeutic and helpful in a lot of ways. It's funny because I sat here at the beginning of the show and said, I'm not a journaler, which I'm really not. But as you said, like if I wake up in the middle of the night, I can't sleep because I'm fretting over something. I pick up my phone, I go to the notes section and I just like type out whatever I'm worried about, or, you know, it might be everything I need to get done. That's keeping me from sleeping. And I just like type it all out because then I'm like, okay, it's out of my brain it's like, now I don't have to worry about it because I'll remember it later. It's there. It's on, you know, it's recorded for me. Jen and I are part of, Jen has a intermittent fasting community. And so many people talk about like, how do I, I can't stop myself from stress eating at 10 PM. And I constantly tell people, get a pen and paper, write it out. Like, get what, what are you stressed out about? Work it out on pen and paper. That bag of chips isn't going to take away your problem. Put it out, make pros and cons lists, like whatever it is that Jerry's helps you a do. journaler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a so secret journaler. Maybe, you I, know. maybe I am a journaler. I mean, like I don't keep a journal, but I think I probably journal a lot. I do it's write like out. Me. I don't have like a journal, but I, you know how I always had like a million notebooks all oh, over yes. the place and I would have things written in all of them, but they were not journals, but they were like, now I have my remarkable, <laughs> so like, it's, but oh. I, I'm writing on it. Have you, have you worked with a remarkable? I have not world? yet, but I oh, know it's they're really nice. amazing. It has like, like all the different, like if, if you can look and see, it's got all, I have all, each one of those things is a different notebook. Uh, oh, that would be a great place to keep journals. You can write with pen. Because it's like writing. And it, you can lock it. It's password protected, right? Well, I don't know. I don't have mine password protected, but I, you probably I you can. can. I don't know. But it's like writing with pen and paper or pencil and paper. You can actually change it to feel more like a pen or more like a pencil. And so it's, it's handwriting, but it's all in one place. So it's, <laughs> it's helping me. I'm still writing it, but it's all together instead of spread out all over the, the house. But... <laughs> You know, Jen, you earlier you talked about how the first draft should just be, you know, just put it out there. And I really do feel that way about journaling. I really think that just to get it down on paper is so important. I'm in a memoir group 
And that's the advice they give when one sits down to write a memoir. They say, don't think about the grammar. Don't think about anything. Just tell the stories. Just keep writing the stories. And eventually you will weave them together into a memoir. So I think that's really important. And Sherry, I have to say that I'm going to include you in the journaling category, honey. Sorry. <laughs> but sounds to me like, I mean, I, I when I'm walking, sometimes I take out my phone and I write in the notes section. Because uh-huh. I, I literally just stop and say, I have to write this down right now. Me I can't too. wait a minute. Uh-huh. And so welcome. We're just non-traditional journalers. Well, and I was going to say, people will say, I don't know what to write. And I told one girl so one day, I said, who, what, when, where, why? Answer those questions. Who, you know, who has made you upset? What made you upset? What, you know, what is bothering you? Like go through that who, what, when, when, where, why? And I bet eventually it'll start to flow and, you know, you'll feel better once you get it out. I don't know if that's, you know, good journaling technique or not, but it makes sense to me. There is no one right way in anything that works. And anyone who has, and I had said this before, but anyone who has no idea where to start, just start with right now, I, right now, I am feeling, right now, I am thinking. That's it. Just that. There are days that I sit down to write. I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to write. And even, I don't even know what the next words might be. It's pretty amazing. My pen just kind of goes along the page and I'm, I'm shocked at what's coming up. Or I can be writing about one thing in the next paragraph, something totally different. So I don't plan it out. I don't think about what I'm going to write unless there's something I know. I Like last night, I knew what I was going to write and I had to write it. You had to get that out. Yeah, I did. It just comes from your heart to your pencil tip. Right. We are almost out of time, but we do have one final question. We have several listeners who want to know if digital journaling serves the same purpose as pen and paper. Some people find that they you know, may want to do an electronic journal. Annette asked, you know, does it need to be written by hand? Is electronic okay? Or is there a different thing that happens when you write by hand versus typing on a keyboard? Either is fine. Either works. I definitely think that there are people who are much more comfortable typing and writing in that way. I will, however, say that there is something about the process, the physiological process of our minds going from our minds down our arm through our pen out of the paper that is different than typing on a computer. It's true. I was a teacher for 28 years and it's also (laughs) the same thing. I was elementary teacher and it's true with reading too, reading a paper book tactile. It's a different experience than reading on a computer screen. So there is something different with that, the way that it's it's that whole tactile sensation of the writing or the reading or the touching. So you're right. Yeah, I think so too. Well, tell our listeners, where can they find your book? So my book is on Amazon. It's called Living and Leaving My Legacy, Volume 1. And my website is Merle R. Saferstein, M-E-R-L-E-R-S-A-F-E-R-S-T-E-I-N.com. And on my website, I have a whole section on journaling. And there are tips. At one point, I have journaling tips that are from the International Association for Journal Writing, and they are wonderful. So anyone who wants to pursue this further can go there. Also, I'm certainly available if anyone has questions. Just you can contact me on my website. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you or encourage you in any way I can to journal. 
Well, thank you. This has been really a lot of fun, and I'm glad we both have figured out we are journalers, too. Good. Who would have known? <laughs> and thank you for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be here, really. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, I want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community. Not only can you interact with us in a private online community, you can connect with other listeners and community members. And Sherry hosts monthly Zoom hangouts where we can connect and talk. Now, Sherry, y'all just had one. I had to miss it. It was Friday. I know. We missed you. How was it? It was great. We had some new faces pop in and Avery was here. So everybody got to meet Avery and she was tumbling on the bed behind me. And they got to meet Lulu. <laughs> oh, I was 100% going to be there. But then Chad was like, let's go to the beach house. And so he was like happy. And we ended up listening to music. And I was like, I cannot leave. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> happy Chad. Not. And <laughs> we had a great evening, just the two yeah. of us. So we I, always I just have great discussions. Texted Sherry. I'm like, look, show him this picture and tell him why I'm not there. Because Chad had a genuine happy look on his face. Good. Yeah, we had a great time. And I love that, like, I don't remember who it was posted in the VIP community afterwards that they love our little chat, our video chats, and that they look forward to them. And yeah, it, I love them too. Nice. Well, I'll be nice there at the next one. Women. <laughs> okay. We were, just, we were having a good time and I just couldn't leave. You know, it's kind of like the day before Thursday, I was just getting ready to go to water aerobics and Will walked in the door on, he had to be at work at seven. No, no, he had to be at work at, he had to be at work at 10. Yep. And water aerobic starts at nine. So he was on his way to work, but he came over to have coffee with me. He didn't call first. He just popped in. And I didn't say, got to go to water aerobics now. See you. No, I was like, I just, that canceled. <laughs> I'm going to make time for Will. So next time, next time I'll be there. But in the new VIP community, you go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. And you can choose your monthly membership contribution of $4.99 or $9.99. And you can change to a different tier at the end of any, any month just by managing your subscription within the platform. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. Now, you may not be someone who's looking for another social network group to be in, and that's okay. This is just a way you can support our podcast by joining the community. You don't even have to go there if you don't want to. Just join it. And you may enjoy going there, but you don't have to. It just helps us bring you the podcast because costs did just go up. Sherry and I were talking about that before before the episode. The, the people who edit our podcast raised their prices. So we're paying more per episode. So anyway, thank you to everyone who's joined. And anyone who would like to join, go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Glenda. She says, if you have a chore that you've been avoiding, one that you just don't want to do, I have a simple strategy for completing it. Maybe it's cleaning out your desk and office. Maybe you keep looking at it saying, I don't have time or I'll just shut the door. But every time you see it, it's causing you stress. Trust me, if you know it needs cleaning and you're ignoring it, it's causing you stress whether you know it or not. Decide that you're going to work on it in segments. Figure out what time of day you're most productive and most likely to feel up to tackling a challenging task. Maybe it's right before lunch. Set the time for 25 minutes and just plan to work for 25 minutes, knowing that when your 25 minutes is up, lunch will free you from that task. If midday is not your most productive time, maybe your most productive mid-morning, do it then. Then reward yourself with 10 minutes of whatever you want to do. Brainless Facebook scrolling, 10 minutes of an audiobook, 
go outside for 10 minutes and close your eyes or whatever. You might not get it done on the first day, but keep using this approach each day until you've completed the task. Suddenly, the task won't be so daunting. Thank you for that tip, Glenda. And here's what's funny as I was reading Glenda's tip. If I told myself I was only going to do it for 25 minutes, but I start, I would, I would just not quit. Yeah, I would probably do the same thing. I have task persistence. That's a real thing. Like Is task it? persistence means once you're in the middle of doing something, like I don't want to stop till it's completely finished. Huh. That could be me. That could be me. I have a hard time getting started, yeah. but once I'm doing it, exactly. I'm not going to stop till it's done. Yep. Which is why like packing to move is so, so hard. Like because once I get started, I want to pack like for twelve hours straight because I've started. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been trying to get my husband to hang a piece of artwork in my office for weeks now. Yesterday morning, I was like, "Okay, today." He's like, "What are we doing today?" I said, "Well, the first thing we're going to do is hang the artwork in the office." So he, after I drank my coffee, I got the tools he needed and he got it hung. Well, I had a box that has been in here probably a month that has some floating shelves in it that also need hung above my desk. And I was like, okay, and now we're going to move on to the shelves. And he was like, shelves. And I'm like, (laughs) well, of course. I'm like, I need to get the room finished. And that way I can throw the box away. It's trash day. So we moved on to shelves. While he was doing that, I was like, oh, I have this mirror. I should hang it on the wall. So I started hanging a mirror. And he's like, this started as one project. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, but now that I'm doing it, I just want to get the room done. Also, I would say hanging things on the wall in the new office is one project. It, that was not it, four projects or three projects. It was not like picture, mirror, well, shelf, then, shelf. That, that It was one. Hang stuff up <laughs> in the office. <laughs> I think he drew the line when I pulled the comforter and sheets off the bed and uh, washed them. He was, he's like, I'm out. And he was like, wait, we're done. And I'm like, wait, wait, I just have to finish this one thing. And then the <laughs> office slash guest bedroom will be yeah. done. See, that's me. I can't stop. It's got to be done anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener, and today's quote comes from Jenna. The quote is, do not let the memories of your past limit the potential of your future. There are no limits to what you can achieve on your journey through life, except in your mind. She shares, when a day closes, don't carry it with you into the next day. Learn the lessons the day taught you, say thank you to the universe for that day, and then leave it there when you close your eyes at night. Remember that each day is a fresh day to succeed, to grow, and to change. Our tomorrows are full of nothing but promise and potential. Oh, I love that. That really is good advice. Do not live in the past. When it's done, it's done. Yeah. It's done. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the Life Lessons VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. And your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And we would also love for you to leave a review. Five stars would be the best. So that helps us reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. And then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.